Let's go. Okay, we're alive now. And today on the show, we have Stella Amore and Dave Urema. Yes, sir. Uh, thanks for coming on, guys. How are you doing tonight? Wonderful. Fantastic. So good to be talking to you tonight. I've been looking forward to this. Cool. Well, uh, I'm glad to have you on. I was just actually listening to uh, the EP you guys did. When did you put that out? Uh, that The official release date was May 19th. Okay, so this is a fair, fairly new. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did a big release show at Exit Inn on May 20th to celebrate. Dude, Exit Inn is my favorite venue in town. I Hands down, it. my number one favorite venue. It is pretty awesome. I really, I enjoyed playing there. It was just an honor to play there. You yeah. Know, it was one of those, like, moments where it's like, okay, dreams are coming, like, dreams come true, like, this is happening. Yeah, yeah, you look around the walls there, and I mean, they have the pictures of Chuck Berry and Billy Joel, and then you look over the bar and it's all the people who have played there and that wall outside has everybody who's list listed on there who's played. I, I just actually, I went there like two weeks ago and I saw Backup Planet play. Have you guys heard them before? Yeah. Backup Planet is this super funky, super proggy jam band. And it was an 80s costume party for Halloween and they were fucking phenomenal. Oh, I believe like, it. Um, <laughs> They were doing they were doing their original material and they did some '80s covers. They did like "Jump" by Van Halen, um, and it was great. They're incredible musicians. I would say there aren't many musicians that I've heard in Nashville who are as like play as well together as they do. It's just like when you sometimes when you play music, it's like you uh, you elevate to this higher level, mm -hmm. and they're all on the same wavelength when they play together. That's so beautiful. Yeah. You truly, um, the more, you know, I, I have to find subs or, you know, don't get to play with many more people, the more you do really notice, like, how much of a connection there really is when you're playing. And, and it takes time to develop that. Yeah, you know? for sure. Uh, and so it's a really beautiful thing when you find people that you have that chemistry with, that it just works, you know? Yeah. Everyone has their own part, but it's part of something bigger, and it really is unified. Like, that's always the best when you can make that happen. It becomes a living, breathing organism. Yeah. So um, the EP, it came out earlier this year. What is the name of the EP again? It's just self-titled. Self-titled. Yeah, Sell it's just Sell More. Yeah, yeah it's, um, it's my, it was my first one. So it was a big deal to, to create. And I got to do it with my dream team. You know, we brought together so many amazing musicians for this record. I always had a dream of having horns. Yeah, the horns were great. Those were like New Orleans-style horns. Yeah. That's what it really reminded me of was that New Orleans soul funk sound. It's that gritty. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. New Orleans horns are way, way grittier. I really wanted that rawness, that realness. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like I am a very bright and bubbly soul, mm -hmm. um, but I think that um, it's just all about balance, you know, as much lightness as darkness and... And there is, I have experienced those times in my life. You know, I do have um, as much happiness I have in me. I do have that angst and that um, that sensual side that I think that the horns really captured well and were a really nice sparkle and touch to it. For sure. Absolutely. I think it definitely added to it. So um, where can people find the EP and where can they find you guys at? How can they... Uh, get a hold of you, where can they see where you have everything going on at? I feel like the easiest is just stellamore.com. Okay. 
It's got links to all of my socials. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, YouTube. We do have um, two music videos out um, to go along with our EP as well, and I really do love both of those projects. Um, I'm learning a lot this year. has taught me a lot. This is my first record. I did my first music videos. Um, so it's a dream come true, but it's, um, it's crazy to see how it all evolves and plays out. And you never really know when you, like, have the idea um, what it's going to take to actually m make it come to life. It's all those little details um, and problems and hiccups that, like, uh, that really um, teach, have taught me a lot through all of this. What, uh, what problems or hiccups have you encountered in the process? Oh, man, all kinds of things, you know. Um, like, think about it, like, you know, as the band grows, you know, uh, like for our EP release, we had an 11-piece band. Damn, so that's, so that's, that's the way you do it. Yeah. I, I know it's okay. It was actually a 12-piece band. The coolest part about it was the, um, and we, it was planned to be an 11-piece band, and the um, Quinn Carson, <clears throat> who's really close friends with our drummer and guitar player, uh, they highly recommended that we, and he lives up in Boston, and bring him in to uh, work on the horn parts, and we had a... We had an awesome meeting with Quinn the first time we met him, um, and his approach. I mean, he wanted to hear the backstory of every song, um, and we talked through like extensively, like all the parts. It wasn't wasn't really like, oh, here's some music. I'll write some cool little horn things for it. It was he wanted a really deep understanding of what was going on, what we wanted, um, and we just went through a lot of ideas. Well, Quinn happened to be in town the day of our uh, CD release show. So, um, we said, yeah, man, just, you, we'd love to have you on stage, maybe come out for the last song and, you know, take a solo, and he, unbeknownst to us, like, right as we were walking on the stage, he said, hey, I talked to Roy, Roy G was playing trombone with us, he's like, I talked to Roy, he said, it's cool if I do the show, is it cool if I just do the whole show? I said, yeah, man, come on out, do the whole show. <laughs> That's so, badass. We had two, uh, two great trombone players, and then, uh, you know, tenor and trumpet, but it was a really cool experience. That's very cool. So it seems like the the EP I was reading it it was kind of recorded at multiple studios. Oh yeah, we got around town. <laughs> yeah. uh, we really kind of just wanted to see, you know, all the the different opportunities and places to make magic. You know, this was our first time really doing this, so we we wanted to kind of get a taste and and feel out um, all the different places, so we know in the future really what fits and what works well with us. And it's smart. It was really fun, and um, we're still actually seeking at other studios. We're actually going to record next at um, 1979. Welcome to 1979. Oh fuck yeah! So excited for I've that! Heard amazing things about it. Are you guys gonna uh, Are you guys gonna record the tape, or are you gonna mm -hmm. do all the? Oh fuck yeah! Mm -hmm. That's how it needs to be done. Especially for like the sound, I think that we're going for with these next releases. Um, I kind of want to talk about just like the messages, I guess, that I'm about to release because they mean so much to me. And I've been really um, going back and, and really focusing on my songwriting um, so I can make sure I say things the right way this time. Because, you know, songs for me, they're so hard to ever call finished. It was really hard for me to call this record finished. 
You know what I mean? Because I'm always a person who wants to change or, or just keep it growing. You know, to me, songs are live, so they're always going to keep. You know what I mean? The record version isn't necessarily what you're going to do live or, you know, um, you know how it should be because you have to make it a certain length of time for a radio edit or, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, um, I've been kind of going back to songwriting school and just really um, making sure that I say this next message right because I have a lot of things to say just with everything that is going on in the world um, one of the songs that I'm super excited about is called Nothing's Wrong and we've been playing it live for a while now um, but the message means a lot to me because I feel like there's so much going wrong in the world uh, and it's so easy to just get caught up in it and to be obsessed with it and to just spend your time and your energy focusing on those negative things. Because um, it seems like every other day there's a bomb dropping and there's people dying. And um, and so it's easy to, to get consumed in fear and get consumed in, in those negative things. But I think the real answer is to be more present in, in like the now. and And right now while we're in this beautiful living room, you know, talking music and, and life, like, just give love and just feel like nothing's wrong, you know, is the more we redirect and shape to something bigger instead of focusing, I think it's important to be aware, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, um, you can only cry so long before it's time to just start dancing. Yeah, yeah, you know? I think that's really beautiful. I think especially in today's day and age with a lot of... Uh, a lot of artists they want to they want to vent their frustrations about how how bad things are are but i really feel like art is supposed to be the escape from all that mm -hmm. we're supposed to go away from that when we're when we're going out listening to music you want to go out and dance you don't want to think about all the horrible shit that's happening in the world <laughs> right now like it was so fucking sad what happened a few weeks ago in las vegas you know those people were going to to listen to to music and it's just like I mean, it definitely crosses my mind here in Nashville, but, but you know what? I went to exit in anyways to go see Backup Planet, and I, I was like, I'm going to go, and I'm going to have fun tonight. <laughs> I just, I took mushrooms, and I went dancing. Nice. Yeah, that sounds like a beautiful night. And yeah. we, can't let the, we can't let the negative things happening stop us from countering it with that positive light and love and, and that energy flow. I think it's easy to get sucked under the current, but if we can learn to float Absolutely. on top and maybe create a new, a new flow, um, that's really what my my mission is with, with doing all of this. You know, I've always had this ache, um, to sing, but writing really to capture the human experience and to be able to connect people that means everything to me. So, what is your writing process like? <laughs> Oh, goodness. Um, all over the place. Um, it's hard because I have a lot of projects. Um, as a songwriter, I mean, as an artist, uh, and my, my show I do, um, that, you know, that's kind of, um, it's got its own thing, you know? But I write a lot of other genres, and um, so songwriting is, is kind of all over the board because depending on if I'm co-writing, and then um, different co-writes, like I have another project that's electronic, so we write to tracks. So that's obviously very different. 
Very studio-based. Uh-huh. Then writing, like, with the band, um, like, Nothing's Wrong evolved because we were just all jamming in the studio. And I just started singing some stuff, and he happened to hit record. And so I went back, and obviously, like, rewrote the lyrics, but the initial melodies and, like, the initial ideas were there. Yeah. Um, so then That I first went, honest capture. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... So that's one way of doing it. But then, like, my other project is called Side Trip. I actually released uh, a record with that um, this year as well. So it's been exciting to have two two projects going. Um, but this record um, was more of, like, a collaboration. Uh, the producer lives out in L.A. And the girl, Chris Bradley, who's also in the project... Um, I met her out in L.A., and we wrote a song, and we just had this, like, awesome chemistry, and we stayed in touch and kept writing, and she ended up moving to Nashville, and now she lives literally a block away, and um, we just got really excited about all the songs we were writing, but they didn't seem to fit either of our, like, uh, solo, um, you know, um, brand or, you know, target, because she's a country artist. And obviously I do this like soulful alternative thing. So together we got weird and made side trip, which is like a very ambient, like dark, sensual, cinematic. We wrote it for film and TV, you know, and the producer, Justin Mural, he's super awesome. He um, really helped add those final um, production notes um, that really made it suited for all of that. So um, it's been cool to do to do that as well as um play my live shows and develop them the other way. I really enjoy both, you know. So where can people find that project at? How can they find that? Uh, so it's Side Trip with two Ps, and it's all one word. And um, you can go to sidetripmusic.com, and that's got links to all of our socials. It's We're on Spotify, um, all the things, so... And you All can, the things. Yeah. <laughs> if you go to my website, I know under my blog section, I talk about Side Trip, and I have a link to that website as well. So it's all kind of interconnected. That's fantastic. It sounds like you've had a really busy year so far. A year of pursuing music. <laughs> I've been grinding. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's exactly what it what it is, and especially here in Nashville. Like this is, I feel like even more so than New York or L.A that Nashville really puts an emphasis on the grind. Mm -hmm. Like, there there are a ton of musicians I know who are out at least five nights a week going out to play, whether it's at jams, co-write sessions, um, any way that someone can turn a buck or for further themselves, they are trying to do it here. And I think that's, that's what's kind of great. I think there's also a downside to be said for that because art doesn't always get pursued as the first and foremost thing. But um, there is an infrastructure here for creative types to pursue their inner, their inner beauty that they're trying to take out, that they're trying to express. Yeah. I love that there are so many different um, ways to do it, you know, because I'm the kind of person, like, I have to be busy. I like having full, um, a full schedule. I like creating is everything to me. You know, I have this, this urgency to get things out and... And it's nice to be able to do it all and not to not be limited. You know what I mean? That I can have multiple projects and that there are, there's that much talent here. You know, it's just crazy yeah. how many people that are willing to like write and, and, and create get and get together and, and are eager to. I have, um, have a lot of beautiful um, people that I co-write with and I've written at this point like 
hundreds of songs in Nashville with people. Now, most of them are just kind of like chilling, you know, yeah. because they don't fit whatever I'm doing right now. Because, you know, because I do, I write so eclectically. But it's still um, amazing to create, and I feel like with every song you grow, so it's never wasted, you know. And ten thousand hours. Yeah, <laughs> and you never know when a song comes back around. Too, there's another song that we're about to cut called "Stained" that I actually wrote by myself, just on the acoustic guitar, when I was still living at my parents' house before I even moved to Nashville, and we. Um, got the full band on it and it's really come a long way and now it's got horn parts and it's um I've rewritten some of the lyrics and um it's crazy to see how they evolve the songs and, and they where grow. they take you yeah, yeah. it's kind of what you were saying earlier is that no song is ever really done you can it's just a matter of when it gets cut it's just a matter of when you cut the song because you can cut a cut a song on Tuesday and it's going to be entirely different than you cut it on Wednesday mm-hmm it's just going to be entirely cuz every someone the drummer might be feeling a different way that day and he might play a, the beat the snare like a, a half a millisecond behind what he would usually play it at and it might change the entire feel of the song absolutely and there's another one too that we're going to cut um called damn the money that we that I think you wrote a long time ago in college right on the piano yeah and then it um I actually reshaped it again um, with V. Lasher because the, the when I originally wrote it, the chorus wasn't um, big enough. You know, the release of the chorus just wasn't quite right yet. So she came in and she helped me fix a few chords around. Um, and so, and then it kind of just hung out for a while again. <laughs> and then the band scooped it up. Yeah, I mean, we we I remember we played it. Um, it's a, like a... It's not even a minor key. It's minor-ish blues, minor-ish slow blues. Um, and for whatever reason, well, we now knew what the reason was, but you know, back when we were playing it a year ago, everybody liked it, but nobody loved it. We didn't get a great reaction from the crowd. Everybody didn't really, it was like, yeah, I don't know about this song. I think we cut it from the set for a little bit. And the drummer came in a rehearsal one day. He goes, I want to try Damn the Money again today. I have an idea. Um, there you go. And he's like, I'm just gonna play straight ahead, like more, uh, like more Zeppelin-y bottom. Oh fuck it's, yeah! Instead of laying back in that slow blues thing, you know, yeah. he was like, I'm just gonna go straight ahead with it. Yeah. And everybody's like, that's it. Now, now this is the way the song is like. Now this is kind of what we all were hoping it would one day sound like, but nobody could put their finger on why it just wasn't working. And then, and now it's like. Then it evolved in a seven and a half minute song, and it's our closer. <laughs> That's epic. Yeah, it's music can be kind of metaphysical like that. It's just something unexplainable, and I hope, I hope I never figure out what it is. I hope to, I hope it's always mysterious, and I hope it stays that way. Like I just hope it it is that one random Tuesday afternoon where the drummer comes to rehearsal and says, "Let's try this this time. Mm-hmm. Let's change it up." I love the magic of that, though. Yeah. There's so much magic in music. I think that's kind of what makes it beautiful is the fact that we can't explain it. It it can explain things that we can't express. Yeah. Which makes uh, Nashville kind of a dysfunctional town because every all of these shamans are walking around, not able to communicate with each other. But when you stick them in a room, the magic happens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's the other... I remember when I first moved to town, I was a little, um, um, 
I was not at all schooled in the Nashville way, and I've obviously been very passionate about music my whole life. And I was kind of a little put off by the way some of the things went down, because they felt a little... And now I'm just about here for three years. Um, I've kind of come all the way full circle and see... Uh, I was listening. I was actually listening to an interview with um, engineer uh, Ryan Hewitt, and he was talking about this very issue, and how he would talk to his. He, he did a record in three days with a songwriter, completely done in three days, all the parts, and used a uh, you know a lot of the seasoned national session guys. And he's like, yeah, you know, my buddies in LA were going, yeah, but that's not that's not real. You know, they just recycle licks and blah 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 and. And Ryan was said, absolutely not. He said, these are actually guys who are phenomenal, guys and gals who are phenomenal players, phenomenal at their craft. Heavy hitters. And you can build an album, if you know the players and know what sounds you want, you can build an album by just saying, okay, we need to have this guy on bass, we got this guy on drums. Exactly. And you come in and, you know, they've got their own, they do their own magic in the studio. Um, and I think to just, like a, at first glance, it can seem a little like, oh, you just hired a bunch of musicians to come in, but when you go into those sessions and see those musicians do their thing, it's pretty amazing, and there's not a whole lot of people that can operate, like, that do operate on that level of, you know, musical, like, uh, accomplishment, I guess. Um, so, I, I it was... Yeah, I've definitely done like a, a come full circle on that. It takes some getting used to. Mm -hmm. I've been here now for two years, and there there are still a lot of gripes that I have with Nashville in general. I, I feel like when it comes to music for me, I'm just gonna do things my way. I don't really, I don't really care. I don't really care to subscribe. There there are certain things that I do like about the way that Nashville does things, and how um, how efficient it is. And the fact that there there are people who get into the room and it's like, okay, we need this drummer and we need this bass player for this song. And that that's, you have those resources here. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the actual music, I definitely feel like it always, for me, has to be art first. You know, business is obviously a super important part of it. And I would say I'm 50% in the business side of things and 50% in, in the music side of things. And that's... That's what is kind of great about being here. I'm, I'm from Maine originally, and um, up in Maine, there, there isn't a lot of music happening, but I was, I was very fortunate enough to have a music teacher growing up who did music full-time. He taught year-round, and then during the summer in Maine, there's such a huge tourism industry. There's a lot of people from Boston and New York that come up, and they have their kids get married in Maine. So he had a wedding band. And he had a really a strong work ethic and a working musician's mentality that just by being around in, around him during my most formative years as a musician, he really ingrained. It's just like, well, they want us to do this song, so let's do this song so we have to get paid. Mm -hmm. So I really, I really like that. But when it comes to like me personally making music, I feel like I, I have to, there has to be that, that feeling. Like when I'm going to write music... And this is something that I've struggled with in Nashville is, is balancing those two sides. But I've started noticing as I've matured as a songwriter, maybe this is something you can relate to, but it comes from a feeling first. Like I start feeling a certain way about something. 
I start feeling something and I can't I can't explain what it is that I'm feeling when I start wanting to, to write. I'm just like I start pacing back and forth, start thinking a lot, and then uh, you just kind of sit down and it happens out of thin air. I feel like it's definitely a calling. Like my, it's like an ache. It's always, I feel like that's just the pain of being an artist is always having to, if you, because if you don't, I notice days where I don't make music or if I neglect. It doesn't feel very good. No, I have to get it out. I have to let it go. It's like, for me, this is not a choice. Like this is like, this is reality. Like this is just what has to happen. You know, it's, it's a need. <laughs> yeah. Who are some of your favorite songwriters? I am really so all over the place when it comes to songwriters. Um, I will say, um, lyrically, I love the edginess. And I love how vividly they paint pictures and how personal they get. Um, Lana Del Rey and Amy Winehouse. Those are both two huge, I would say, influences to me because they both just didn't give a fuck and just, like, let all the dirty pieces of them out. And um, and so they, I think initially when I first started writing songs, like, I was afraid to play in front of my parents and, like, people around me. Those are always the best songs. Yeah, because, like, you're just, you don't want them to judge you or think of you differently because especially as you're coming out of innocence is, and I did very quickly, I was a very bad kid. Um, <laughs> um, so when you're coming out of that and having to like accept that, you know, accept that you are, you know, you've done what you've done. Um, I think it is empowering when you, when you can and capture that in a song and when you can be honest and when you can release that. It was hard at first for me to like just be open with it um, but now I'm like totally 100% okay with it. Like I have a song Problem Child that's on this record. Um, like it's very real, very raw and hits one of the hardest subjects, but I think one of the subjects that needs to be talked about the most and that is opiate addiction. Um, I have watched it destroy where I'm from and I have lost a lot of friends and I've just really seen, um, how it's affected all different kinds of people, you know, from somebody who just got in the wrong crowd and to somebody who literally got injured and their doctor prescribed it and that took them down a rabbit hole. Like, there's just... It's a dark road. It's those a pills, man. very dark road. And and um, and, and addiction is something that um, is hard to talk about. But in the music world especially, it's such a prominent part of the culture. I mean, all of my favorite idols, like, performers, like, I'm obsessed Amy with... Amy Winehouse. Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix. Like, though, I read both their biographies before I came to Nashville, and they inspired me so much because they did. They just stuck their thumb out and they went. Like, they didn't They didn't even think twice about it. Like, they had such a calling to, to get their message and to do what they do, and they did it. But they also died very tragic deaths because they couldn't handle... The, the calm down of of the energy that they created. I mean, they were stars. They they literally, I feel like self, you know, like they imploded. It's, I don't know. Um, but, but learning from that and, and, and reading their story and recognizing my own tendencies um, and my own issues and um, just trying to better myself and, and just, just call it out and recognize it. You know, I think that it needs to be said that there are a lot of people that got a problem. 
I know I've had my problems. I still do. You know, everyone does. So for sure, absolutely. Um, it's hard to say, but I think it's needed to be said. And I, I've been working on um, a few other songs that um, along those lines uh, with the same writers. I wrote um, "Problem Child" with um, Tony Zabitson and Deanna Walker and Rick Beresford, and they're like some of my favorite people to write with because when we get in a room, there's so much love there. And understanding, we're all so open and so honest that I think that's why Problem Child came out so magical, and the the songs we're working on now really like stick out to me out of all of them, you know, because they're they are so honest and they hit on a subject that I really feel the need to hit on. I don't think it's talked about enough. Um, we really do have a lot that we need to heal in our in ourselves and in our culture and in our world. Yeah, it's almost like there's this uh, this great purge that's happening right now where it's like we're it's it's like when you get food poisoning and you have to puke everything out in order for yourself to feel better. Culturally, that's what's happening in America right now. Yeah. I totally I I agree with that. I think it's I think it's a good thing, you know, a lot of people are stressed out about it, but I guess that goes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier. I, I really uh I really believe people people are like freaking the fuck out about everything that's going on in America, going on in the world. And it's easy to, it's easy to look around and be intimidated by all the things that are happening, but I think they're all kind of funny. I, I kind of like the chaos. I like all the chaos that's happening. I, I, I enjoy it. I feel like I'm meant to be in these times. I'm made for these times. I'm made for all of the insanity that's happening. On. Yeah. I do. I feel the same way. I feel like I am made for this revolution. Yeah, it, that's what it kind of what, it, what it's feeling like. Mm -hmm. This is, um, I think that everything is about balance. And I think that we've noticed this rise of negativity, but that's where the light comes in and that's where we're needed and that's what we're doing. We're bringing, we're bringing that back, you know? We're balancing again. And um, it wavers. It's a constant roller coaster. But I think if we make the choice to focus on empowering each other and um, empowering ourselves versus focusing on the fear and the anxiety of the, the bad things because they're inevitable. You know, whether it's humans um, destroying each other or a hurricane devastation, like we're always going to have these problems that and these these terrible things that happen in life, like, that's just part of it. It's part of life. But what do you focus on? I mean, there's going to be times when it's inevitable and you're going to face those inevitable times of sadness or serious trauma, like, and, but you can use that. It's your choice to use that as a victim and be a victim of it or use it as a way to empower yourself and now be aware of that negativity to where you can come out to the other side of the light of it, you know? I mean, it's it's all perception. Have you always had that perception, or is that something that you, you kind of grew into? I think I am a roller coaster. Um, Fair. I think that, I think I've all, I think that, in the, it's always in the back of my brain, you know? I'm always aware. But I also am a human, and I do have my times of anxiety. 
Yeah. You know, so I don't want to ever call myself a Buddha or anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I definitely get caught up in being human way more than I care to. Yeah. But <laughs> it's always um, just trying As the to producer throw. laughs. Yeah, because uh, he, sees, he sees a lot of it, you know? It's funny. Um, the more time you spend with somebody, the more you do, you get to see the full spectrum. You know? And um, it ain't always easy. No, it's not. But that's what makes it beautiful. Uh-huh. And I'm with you on that whole uh, enjoying the chaos. Like, I think there is a lot of good that can come out of it. And you have to have it to have that change. Oh, yeah. Um, do you laugh or do you cry? <laughs> or celebrate during it. <laughs> um, I, we, um, I've been a huge fan of... I think I saw my first Henry Rollins spoken word show when I was 15... And we just saw one last year, and... Where did he... He was just here, marathon, right? Marathon, yeah. Marathon, that's right, yeah. Which was interesting to see at a marathon. The first time I went was a little theater in West Palm Beach, Florida, where I'm from. That's now... Oh, dude, I was born down in Boynton Beach. Oh, no way. Yeah, okay. yeah, I spent the first, like, ten years of my life down in Florida. Yeah, my mom lives five minutes from Boynton. Um, wow. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, the place since burned down. It was a tiny little theater. Um, but he made a good point about, um, and it wasn't even specific to like the Trump administration or anything. He was, he said, I, he goes, I've given up on the concept of we, like we as a nation are going to do something good. We as a government are going to fix this problem. He's like, fuck all that. He goes, I believe in we, like me and you and me and you and like all the people in this room, what you can do individually. And he was sort of just like... You know, if you're just, like, looking, you know, in that direction and screaming and pointing your finger, um, he's like, you're missing the point. Like, um, he's like, all of those institutions have kind of been failing us in terms of problem solving. And yes. the more people take it upon themselves to do it in whatever way they can um, is how a lot of, you know, that that will affect a lot of change in, in terms of people just doing it on a... Uh, being inspired to do it on an individual level, um, and and yeah, I kind of feel like now, like these these crazy times, I do like the best music is made. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, in my opinion, the '60s is like was the shit. You know? Yeah. <laughs> when I meet kids that are you know 19 years old and they love Zeppelin and Hendrix, I'm like, I'm so glad that everybody's just still. You know what I mean? We're all in agreement yeah, that like the fucking Beatles are awesome. <laughs> it doesn't, yeah, and like that stuff's timeless, and it came out of such a chaotic period. Yeah, um, and it, it was, was a so really chaotic raw point. and real. Like all those records just have that humanity to them, you know. And I feel like music, a lot of it, has lost that nowadays because it is so auto-tuned and perfect, and our standards um, have changed so drastically. Why do you think that? Why do you think that is? Do you think it's due to technology, or is it something due to the quality of songwriters and musicianship? I think that the technology has definitely affected that because obviously people can make themselves sound better than they are in the studio. You know what I mean? They can always edit. They can always tune. You know what I mean? So I think there are people who aren't necessarily as talented or as skilled. Um, they probably have more plays or streams than people who actually have put the hours in. Um, 
artisans. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right about the purging. Like, right now there's an oversaturation of a lot of things, but I really do believe that there is a strong counterculture developing that really will um, change the system. I mean, we're seeing it in music as well, just like labels versus independent, you know? Uh, Power to the people. Yeah, I mean... Power to we. Absolutely. That, that, as much... I mean, I, when I moved to Nashville, I, I, I met a very esteemed producer and sat in his um, ridiculous home studio and he was just so negative about like the business because back in the day he was just crushing it and now he's like can't get any work because nobody's got any budgets and yeah that's a real thing and and I totally understand that um, but I looked at it as a you know where there's adversity there's opportunity yes absolutely and all right the, the the state of the business model is in flux and nobody knows a perfect time to like get in and try to do what you can to to make things better or, you know the way you want and the way you know people in your community and and go in that direction um and the the great thing about it is now is that anybody could uh it's a lot easier the labels aren't the gatekeepers as much as they used to be and people can get their music out a lot easier now um, and people could take off and do well independently and that's gotta that's gotta piss <laughs> you know what I mean yeah the big sure. labels off and I think it's great though because in the end of the day I think they're gonna change to adapt to the fact that they, they already have have started to have to mm -hmm. the, they've been forced to this is the one thing about the music business that I think is hysterical maybe the most <laughs> funny thing is that all of these changes are happening, and they refuse until the very last fucking minute. They never get out in front of anything. From a business standpoint, from a business perspective, they are horrible. Mm -hmm. It's like they are so used to thinking in 1960s ways when there was, like the Phil Spector, a $100,000 budget for one song, that they're still, they're not stuck on that now because they can't really afford to do that, but... They, they still have that kind of that that mindset, that decrepit, dementia-filled mindset of this is how we operate in the music business, and this is how we talk to each other in the music business, and this is how we talk to people who are outside of the music business who want to get in. It's like they still have all of those. I don't know. I guess you could call them fallacies, um, but it's kind of like what you were saying. It, it's it's an opportunity. Their short-sightedness is a great opportunity to just blindside them every time and just knock them out, and then they just ne they never see it coming. And then a band rises or an artist rises, and like Sturgill Simpson, I don't know if you guys listen to Sturgill Simpson at all. He's a perfect fucking example of that. Like they, they still haven't they still haven't caught up to Sturgill yet. I mean, he <laughs> is signed to Atlantic, he is signed to a major label, but it was after he already had done all the work on his own. And Sturgill, he started really blowing up, I think, when he was, like, in his mid to late 30s. Mm -hmm. Which, by by standards of, like, 1960 standards, that's that's unusual mm -hmm. for, for, for that. And I think that's what's kind of beautiful about today is that at any point, you can take all of your experience of life and turn it into something. Mm -hmm. 
which I think is a positive now with the fact that we do have the internet. It's like if your art is real and it's genuine, people out there are going to connect with it. There's going to be someone who listens to you and says, I really love this, and I don't know why. Absolutely. And those moments are what mean everything. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's the reason that it is so beautiful. And so, again, it's going back to not being able to ever really explain it. That's, man, that's, I've noticed there's a few bands that, when I was living in South Florida, um, that I listened to their music with friends, and I loved it. You know, I but I, I didn't, like, delve into the band. I just put it on a, you know, save their album on a playlist or something, and, oh, yeah, I want to check, I want to listen to that again. Um, but I, I love the music so much. It had nothing to do with, because I heard it on the radio or because somebody was pushing it in my face. And then, like, I was shocked to find out uh, that they're smaller independent artists, you know? Um, whatchamacallit, in, a buddy of mine turned me on to All Them Witches when I was in South Florida. and That sounds really familiar. Yeah, they're, and I had no idea they were from Nashville, and I went, I think Marathon had a, uh, like, an outdoor... Um, all day kind of little festival like lo through lightning 100 or something yep. like that right yeah and they headlined it i mean and they've gone come a long way from when i first started listening to them um man, i saw them on live in the green and i was like i can't and live on the green a friend of mine worked, you know worked with one of the uh guys girlfriends and um you know that because i think before you know before you there were the labels and the radio were the gatekeepers of what you can listen to unless you really wanted to research and search they kind of told you what you were going to listen to yeah and now there does there isn't that um, there's no wall up in front of that you, everybody can access it anything as long as you put it up <laughs> well it it make that kind of makes me think of Iggy Pop um in his whole career arc which is truly truly like a slow burn Mm -hmm. It's like he's someone who, of course, he started out with the Stooges, and the Stooges never experienced any kind of commercial success. And then the Stooges broke up, and then it was Iggy and the Stooges. Still no commercial success. Iggy went even deeper into drugs. David Bowie was the one who pulled him out of that. He disappeared again. David Bowie did one of his songs, gave him money to get clean, to have a career again, and he, he just had all of these ups and downs. And a couple of years ago, what well, was like, Last year, he did that album, or two years ago, Post Pop Depression, with Josh from Queens of the Stone Age. You listen to that? I haven't heard it, but I'm, my interest is beat. It's <laughs> fucking awesome. And Matt Helders from Arctic Monkeys is the drummer on it. So it's, um, it's definitely uh, in the same vein as his first two records that he did with Bowie. This is like the continuation of that. And Josh really... Josh... I think it's Hami. I never know how to fucking pronounce his last name. Yeah. <laughs> but he is probably my one of my all-time favorite modern producers just because he he's like an artist producer. Mm -hmm. He he gets it. He understands and he put he gave Iggy his his swan song, I think in a lot of ways and just completely represented everything that he, that he was. But if you haven't heard about any of that or really know any about that, listen to the record and then do like Go back and listen to them do interviews together. It's cool as fuck. I would definitely it's really cool <laughs> to hear it because it, it really does feel like a continuation because here is an old Iggy Pop. Like all of these years in between, if you wanna if you wanna see it as a continuation of of 
the idiot in Lust for Life, just fast-forwarding, and Iggy lived all of his life in between that. Yeah, wow. So I think it's, it's pretty interesting, and uh, it's definitely about about the modern world and very much about his kind of his mentality and the way that he looks at things. Um, I'm going to listen to that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you mentioned Henry Rollins. Did you grow up listening to punk rock? Um, I listened to a lot of punk rock in, in grade school and high school. Um, that's, that was the, not so much, I didn't listen to so much of the older punk rock then. It was more, um, you know, growing up on the beach and surfing and, I, and that, that was actually a great way for back then for a smaller artist to get their music out. I found so much great punk music on surf videos. Um, really? Yeah. And we all, all me and my friends, we used to all watch the surf videos and then just look at the credits at the end and who's that and uh, Screeching Weasel and No Use for a Name and um, No Effects. And then there was obviously like you know Pennywise and punk bands that were you know a little bit more recognizable, but. Um, Yep. Um, but yeah, that that punk punk rock rock and roll, and and then when I started playing guitar, I really got into blues. Um, <laughs> Who are some of your favorite blues players? Um, Howlin' Wolf, I would say, is probably if I had to, something with a gun in my head, I would have to say Howlin' Wolf, followed by Freddie King. Um, Obviously, Hendrix was the shit, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's almost a cliche to say, but he's just... Cool thing about Hendrix, too, is now all the stuff that they're releasing and all the albums you can find of... He was fucking prolific, man. Yeah. Like, in his lifespan, which really wasn't that long, he lived until he was 27. They're probably going to be releasing music for the rest of our lives yeah. of him. <laughs> he was just always recording when he wasn't playing. That's what he did. Mm -hmm. And do you, Did you know that he kind of got a start in Nashville? Yep. Yeah, which is crazy. Another person in fucking Nashville was was down on Jefferson Street. I don't I don't know the full story or anything like that. I, I know a little bit about it, but I think it was really cool that he kind of started started out here because people wouldn't necessarily when they think Nashville they wouldn't think that, but Nashville has such a varied music history. Like he recorded on a studio that was um, it, the building is still there on Dickerson Pike. It's it was called it's uh Starday King Studios, but it's just an abandoned building now. And uh he recorded there because he was just a sideman and all that. And um James Brown, he recorded like Sex Machine there and a couple oh, Hot Pants and a couple other songs, and you're just like, those are like some of James Brown's best songs. He recorded them here in Nashville. <laughs> Probably just rolling through on tour one night. Mm -hmm. It was like the next morning, let's go record. I love yeah, it's cool. He's, like, I have so much respect for him as a performer. I'm very much inspired by, like, his energy and just the way he, like, really, he sells it. He just does it. Like, sells it. That's the perfect yeah. way to say it. Yeah. And his bands were always fucking hot. <sighs> yeah. He was, I heard he was not very nice. That's why his bands were hot. <laughs> yeah. Because he was just he like, no. Yeah. yeah. He was just, yeah. <laughs> Did you see that James Brown movie with uh, Chadwick Boseman? where he was playing James Brown. I saw the movie, and there was a documentary, I think, that came out around the same time that tracked some of the same stories. Um, so, yeah, those were... That was... <laughs> wasn't the opening scene him walking in with a gun to, like... A <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was walking walking into, like, the office, and, and he was, like, shooting a shotgun in the, in the 
ceiling. I think the opening <laughs> shot of the movie, if, if I'm not mistaken, it's a joint, and then there's like angel dust in it. <laughs> so I wish they would have did like a hard R version of that movie mm -hmm. though, because Chadwick Boseman, he he fucking sold James Brown. When it shows that opening shot of him walking down the hallway with his hands out and he has a bunch of rings on his hands, that, I was like, I buy this. <laughs> Immediately, as soon as it started, I was like, I buy this. I'm into it. He's James Brown right now. Speaking of James Brown, that's one, uh, one cool thing about being in Nashville is how many people are just as passionate as you and me, you know, and all of us about music, and all of our friends are, you know what I mean, all of our friends are bandmates of people, you know, for the most part, I don't think I know many people that aren't, you know, hardcore into music, where I had a few friends like that at home, and, but recently our uh, uh, guitar player Derek uh, told me, we're talking about jamming, and I'm a new keys player, like I've played guitar my whole life, and you know, I took piano when I was young for a little bit, and I recorded some key stuff where I could go back. And but when um, Stell asked me to, I had to cover for guitar, so I had to learn all the songs. Um, and then, like two weeks later, she said, "Hey, do you want to try playing keys at rehearsal?" And so I've been playing keys for the last two years. Um, but the, her guitar player said, "Hey, listen to the James Brown instrumental stuff, like the just the JBs." And oh fuck yeah! Pass the peas, like I used to say. Yeah, all that shit's great. And that's what I like started just practicing to. Like I, oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. And like having all those people tell you, hey, you gotta check out this person you've never heard of before, and and how passionate and excited everybody is about music. It's uh, music and just creative fields. It's it's really it's really awesome. And I just had a good friend from West Palm visit, and he's looking for jobs. <laughs> yeah, that's. I feel like that's the, the Nashville story. Anytime we, I've had a friend come visit who's from from out of town, and they're passing through, and they're a musician. They've come here, and they've immediately been like, "Whoa!" You get the bug. You yeah, the bug yeah. You, because you realize it. Like, have you guys gone out to blues jams much or anything like that? I've been to the. I haven't played at it. I actually just. Um, thought about doing blues jams on keys, uh, as a way to like, cause I, to me playing with people's the best and like putting myself on the spot and for sure, to, you know, that's how the discomfort. Yes, exactly. That's how you grow. I was like, I need to practice this. this uh, week. yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> Nashville definitely did that to me because I, I came from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and I would just sneak into the blues bar there and just like, get in like with the band because they would just do like a open jam you know and I would just sing and I didn't know any blues songs like I didn't know anything I just loved to sing and they would just let me get up there and sing whatever I want so I started as an improvisational blues singer that's like <laughs> my first like like performance like out in public like singing apart from musical theater you know I did that growing up um but that was really cool for me and it was like I was young and I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't care I just did it I was like so free and then I came to Nashville and I was surrounded by all these professionals and all these like on point people where I had just been like just singing like doing whatever yeah. and I realized just like how much I had to step my game up and how much like you know I like I don't know like Louisville is a really cool music scene um, but it's just nowhere near the level that is here. Yeah. Like, there's just, it's, there, it's just ridiculous, like, the expectations, like, 
the, the expectations. You can all... feel it when you head in somewhere. It's like it, it was it's in the room. shape. It yeah. did. It really did. It took me um, probably two years to really settle in and figure out like my vision and my people and what I wanted to do because I am such an eclectic soul and I do write songs in every genre. So it's like when you write in every genre, um, you really have to kind of. In order to put a cohesive show together, you kind of had to like, pick some direction, you know? So yeah, that's it. <laughs> it did take me some time, but luckily um, we figured it out, you know? And we really, I'm really proud of what we've put together and what we've accomplished. Um, like I said, I always wanted to have horns, and then all of a sudden, you know? You had horns. Yeah. And just great, uh, super great players that are super great people um mind blown yeah that's another cool thing too all the people that you get to meet by whether it's um you know hiring a horn player for a session and then they're in your band you know uh or playing a lot of shows with you or if you sub a bass player and um you know you've got a new friend that's um somebody to possibly write a song with that's if they like your stuff and uh just like the community of of artists it's pretty it's pretty awesome <laughs> um yeah that's some friends of west palm like, you, ever, you ever think about moving back i said no no yeah <laughs> hard, no i, I feel no. <laughs> i feel like it's it would be really hard for me to move away from here now mm -hmm. uh you know I, I have been here for two years so I have friends I, I have a community you know I'm doing this podcast I have a pretty dope apartment this apartment's fucking awesome I love your apartment. Yeah, it's cool uh, and I don't want to I don't want to leave any of this behind I feel like if I left I would immediately feel homesick for Nashville which I wouldn't have guessed like I have a, I have a lot of pride coming from from Maine and like growing up in New England and growing up in the snow and you know, <laughs> you know? I put something extra in you I feel and uh <laughs> Everyone else in the U.S. is southern to me, except for people in Alaska. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, it's it would be strange to uh, to go somewhere else now. It would be strange to if, if, to move to L.A. or New York. New York I feel like they would not be lateral moves mm -hmm. because there, there is such growth that's happening here. Like I, I have, I have a day job. I actually, I have two day jobs, and. Um, like in other places, you know, it's a struggle to even find work yeah. to, to be able to feed yourself. I think that Nashville's super cool, too. It's, it's like speaking of day jobs, I've gone through my fair share of day jobs, waitressing at restaurants all around Nashville. <laughs> Gotta earn your stripes. <laughs> uh -huh. And um, it's crazy, though, because at most restaurants I've worked at, they've all been very understanding with, like, my life. And, like, I can't just They have to be because it's yeah. a town full of musicians. Exactly. And so that's been cool that I can do whatever I want. You know, I can still make my music and, like, you do all that. But because they understand, because everyone is so like-minded, it um, I can also make that extra little something to help, you know, pay the bills. For sure, absolutely. Got to got to be able to eat. Yeah. Keep the electricity on so you can plug in the guitars, <laughs> crank them up. So, are you guys living over in East Nashville? Yeah. Yeah, East Nashville's dope as fuck. I used to live out there. I really love our spot. We live right by Shelby Park, right um, off Eastland. Um, and and he has made this amazing studio in our home. So we're super lucky because we have 
the possibility to record full band everything just right there and rehearse and it's a very it's a it's a beautiful setup we're, we're very blessed to just be able to create in any time <laughs> i would be i would argue that in like here in nashville east nashville is is its own music scene oh yeah like there are so many great Bands that I would consider East Nashville bands. Like, I really like Justin and the Cosmics a lot. Detsa. Ron Gallo, who I've had on the show. He's super awesome. Yeah, Ron, Ron's, a cool, Ron. Ron's a cool guy. He plays with the Minx, too. And I feel like they're another staple of East Nashville. I haven't listened to them. They, they invited me out to a show. I haven't, gone, I haven't gone out yet. You should go. They're cool. Yeah. We've done a few shows with them. Uh, you know um, Blackfoot Gypsies? That sounds really familiar, too. Uh Dylan also sometimes plays with them. He's a bass player. He recorded on our record, and he's a super cool cat, and Blackfoot Gypsy is a super awesome band. Um, we went to their release party at... Um, it was a little Harpeth Brewery. Yeah, it was so cool. I'm they put on the Reddish show. They are complete rock stars, I'm telling you. They are just like all another brand. Where is Where is Little Harpeth? Like, what, what does it look like inside of there? I'm trying to think of it. It's like, really big. It's a big it's old a warehouse. Giant yeah. brewery is warehouse. is that uh is that on Gallatin? Like it's by the river. It's like weird. It's in like an industrial part. Like hmm. you know when you, you there's like the big sign for the cross how we say CrossFit, it's not. The cross point church. Um it's right around there. Uh, it's you have to go there. You, you don't pass by it. There's like a Knights Inn close by? Yeah. I think so, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, so it's basically between downtown and East Nashville in that exactly, little section. Yep. Um, okay. Yeah, have, I haven't been there yet. It's cool. We played there. It's cool that they have bands. We played two. We played Brewery and Murphy's Bros. Like, how cool is it that breweries just host bands? <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. And, you know, there's there's breweries all over town here. There's so many places to fucking play or to see a show. Anytime if you go out for a cheeseburger, you're going to be seeing a band play. And they're going to be Amazing. Yeah, They're and gonna be all the, the musicians ever, yeah. Yeah, are going to be hot. <laughs> Speaking of, blew my mind. I was, uh, oh, it was when I moved here. Uh, very, but really, just right after I moved here, um, and I was always, a, I've always been a big G Love and Special Sauce fan. Um, I went to Twelve South Tap Room to have a burger, and I'm looking, and I was like, that's G Love's drummer, and I'm like, and that's Kenny Vaughn. Uh, Kenny Vaughn can shred, dude. I didn't know who the other guy was, but the other guy was Dave Rowe. Uh, Dave Rowe, holy shit, so he's a great fucking bass player. Dave Rowe, um, I didn't even know what G Love's drummer's name is. He was with a house man. And, uh, and Kenny Vaughn playing at a burger joint on a Monday night. And it was so cool. That's, that's the real deal. They, uh, <laughs> they did a record with, with Dan Auerbach. Did you listen to that? The Waiting on the Song album? I ha I've listened to a couple songs off that album and I'm obsessed with uh, the song Trouble Weighs a Ton off of his first solo record. Uh -huh. that, that band just, they put out a live video of that song with that band. Yeah. And the I Nashville played, heavy hitters. Ex I, I've, I said it to a few people, I said, this is Nashville. Like, this is a good, these are yes. Nashville guys. Like, this is a Nashville sound. Um... And I probably watched that video twenty times. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been watching all of those videos that he's been that he's been putting out. That I think they they did it in New York, and uh, he's playing with all those Nashville session guys. 
Like he's playing with with uh, the drummer and the keyboardist, or they both played with Elvis. Mm -hmm. Like they were in the Memphis Boys, and then, geez, it, on on the on the actual record, there's uh the back cover is a picture of him on the bottom, and then all of the musicians who played on it. And if you just look at everybody who's played on it, it's just like, <laughs> wow, 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 wow. It's just every one of them is a fucking heavy hitter. And I think he wrote a lot of it with John Prine. Yeah, yeah, he wrote it with with John Prine. He wrote it with um, Pat McLaughlin, who's John Prine's mandolin player. I think he, I think he's a mandolin player. But um, one of my favorite songs off that album is called "The Malibu Man." Have you listened to that one? He wrote it about Rick Rubin, and uh, and and that that Sirius XM the the live videos um, that they recorded for Sirius XM. They do a version of that. I think it's better than the record version. I I love the record version. Don't get me wrong, and I love that whole album. But the live version of that song is just fucking fantastic because it's those Nashville session guys. You see them playing, and like everybody's reading each other. And um, there's a part of the video. Pat's playing guitar, and his guitar goes a little bit flat, and you notice it. And I love that shit. <laughs> I love it when that gets when those moments get captured. There's this um. That just reminded me of this this video of Jimi Hendrix and he's doing um, Hammer Train Coming Acoustically, yeah. and he like starts and he like messes up or just wasn't ready, so he was like, hold on a minute, hold on a minute, let me restart. And I love just seeing that humanity yeah. and such bright lights like that, you know. It's yeah. like we all have our moments, and I think it's it's just beautiful to to know that, you know. And he was so shy. Yeah, he was. Because I don't think he like play. I think I think uh, Derek told me that he wasn't like a confident acoustic guitar player. Um, he could have fooled me. Yeah, that's here my train to come on twelve strings. Yeah, I mean it's it's a shame <laughs> that there there is no that a, a seventy five year old Jimi Hendrix didn't record an all acoustic blues album. Just him sitting in a room, just him and acoustic guitar playing. You know, like nice wood floor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, Um, so, uh, what do you guys have coming up here soon? Do you have any shows that you're going to be yeah. doing? We are playing the Eastrim. Um, December 1st? Yeah, and that's, yeah. An, that's a, a big show. I'm super excited for it. Um, we're playing with this, um, this really cool guy, Delphonics from St. Louis. That sounds really familiar to me, too. Um, Trez and um, Morgan Bosman. Um, I'm super stoked. Just, like, um, just the interactions I've had with these people so far and what I've seen of their music. I think it's going to be a really stellar set. Um, and the East Room is an awesome venue. Yeah, that's one I mean, of my favorites. I, I've never been there yet. There. That's right yeah. next to the um, Dark Aesthetics, yeah, right? Yeah, the hail. Uh -huh. <laughs> Have yeah. you been in there? I haven't been in there, no. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah, you should go. You need to go check that pocket of town out. Yeah, I I always see just the hearse out front, <laughs> but I've I've never stopped. I've never stopped in there. Super cool. Super yeah. Weird. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, on a closing note, do you guys have any great uh, great horror stories of a time that you weren't prepared for a gig or a rehearsal and basically just made yourselves look really bad? Um, yeah, I'll show you. This happened just recently. Time changes, man. We forgot about a time change when we were playing Knoxville. 
So, so we were late. Time zone. Yeah. 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 Back to we Eastern. We did not think about that. And so we it ended up working out. It ended up being a great night, great set. The venue was super cool and like understanding. So it ended up working out. But there was literally a solid hour there after I realized we were going to get there like right on time. And then, not to make it worse, like this place was in the middle of downtown. So it's not like easy to park or find. Yeah. Or like we had to find the alley to unload, and we also had horn players. So we had a big band that night. Damn. We were all yeah. traveling in different cars, and so we had three cars. Like it Driving was, yeah, yeah, just trying, trying to, to find, find a spot it after yeah. already being late. And so we, I just felt horrible because I just obviously who wants to be late, you know? Yeah. Want, I want to be respectful and like you know do my job. Well. On time is late. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, well, we, we pushed through, but it was definitely yeah. embarrassing to, like, admit that. We didn't yeah. think that through. I yeah. mean, when, you, when you're first going on tour, um, you learn a lot of things the hard way. Yeah. Just about, you know, you just never know. You can't see a lot of the problems that you're going to have. Um, but it's been funny to just laugh through it and get through it. <laughs> well, you live to see another day. Yeah. Hey, guys, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it.